Good morning. If you have a copy of the scriptures, open up to Psalm 120. We're continuing our series in Songs of Life through the book of Psalms. So Psalm 120, if you need a Bible, raise your hand and we'll get you one in the front row. Right here. Corey just likes to raise his hand, I know that. Now, starting at Psalm 120, there are 15 psalms that are called the Psalms of Ascent. They're basically, the word is uh, going up, and so we call them the Psalms of Ascent. And what these songs are about are, they're songs that were sung for those who were pilgrimaging to Jerusalem for their events for their feasts and these celebrations that the nation would gather all together in Jerusalem for these special events. And these songs were songs that were familiar to them as they were going to Jerusalem for these events. It would be similar to our singing Christmas carols at Christmas times. These were their songs of celebration of these events. Most of them are short. They're containing a lot of things. Most of them are kind of joyous in celebration, remembering what God has done and looking to the city, written by David, some anonymous uh, writers, and even one that's written by Solomon that's kind of interesting that I think we'll probably cover. Um, and so Psalm 120 is the first of these songs. And so let's read it. It's a short one, just seven verses. It says, I call on the Lord in my distress, and he answers me. Save me, Lord, from lying lips and from deceitful tongues. What will he do to you and what more besides you deceitful tongues? He will punish you with a warrior's sharp arrows, with burning coals of the broom brush, broom bush. Woe to me that I dwell in Meshech, that I live among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I lived among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. And I know you said, you just said that they were joyful songs. This doesn't seem all that joyful. Have you ever been so excited to go someplace that it almost makes it unbearable to be where you're at? Because you're so filled with enthusiasm. It's just, I can hardly wait. Maybe it's that vacation Maybe it's the weekend. Maybe it's to go see your boyfriend, your girlfriend. You're not married. <laughs> I can remember going to Wales on a trip, and my youngest son Daniel was going to go with us, and it was the first time he'd ever was going to be on an airplane. We were going away for two weeks to another country, and he was so excited. He had packed and unpacked probably three times. He couldn't wait. He was counting down. He was always saying, oh, it's going to be just another week, just another week. And he was just over excited. And the night before, when it was time to go, he was up late. And I said, Daniel, you got to go to sleep. We got to get up early in the morning to go down to LAX to get the plane. And so we have to get up at like five in the morning, meet everyone who's going on the team and then go. And he goes, okay, yeah. And he was excited and he finally gets to sleep. And then I started packing. And then <laughs> that morning, 
About 4.30 in the morning, I go into his room, and Daniel never wakes up. You have to understand this about my son. He never wakes up. Alarms ringing for 45 minutes. His brother's coming. Shut up. Turn off the alarm. He's like, huh? Yeah, I'm awake. I'm awake. And then he goes back to sleep, man. He's just, he's out. 4.30 in the morning, I knock on his door and I go, hey, Daniel, it's time to get up. And I'm not kidding. While he's sleeping, the smile came over his face and he just sat up like he's been waiting for this his whole life it was the most amazing thing it's like who are you and what have you done with my son who doesn't wake up he couldn't wait for this trip and so he was excited and driven and that's the emotion that we need to understand about these psalms We're going to the place where God is. We we are going to this festival that is a celebration of God's faithfulness to us. We, We are going remembering. And so this journey, this ascent to Jerusalem is one that they are looking forward to. It's a celebration. It's a feast. And it's worship. And so, as this psalm is being written, he starts declaring that, first off, he says, I call on the Lord in my distress, and he answers me. He starts off, God hears me. And then he says, save me, Lord, from lying lips and from deceitful tongues. And I was thinking about this. How do you save someone from lying lips and deceitful tongue? How do you save someone when they lie about you or they lie to you, how do you save that person? Because once the lie is told, it is so hard to untell it. Once that is out there, it's out there. And that's why there is so much rampant conspiracy theories going on out there. There are so many things because it's easy to say things, but it's hard to unsay them. In fact, We have that currently taking place in our history of events. You guys have seen online this man here in the blue. He was, it was all over Facebook. The FBI is looking for this man in connection with the bombing in Boston. And his name wasn't known. It was plastered all over the internet. His name, by the way, is Salah Barun. Salah is 17 years old and he's there with his track coach in the white cap because he's a runner. He had nothing to do with the bombing, but this poor young man, 17 years old, was brought to this place where he had to fearfully go and say, I didn't do anything. But everyone was looking for him. Why? Because someone posted online, hey, Look at this guy. That's it. Someone posts something online and now the whole country is out to get this poor guy. And he was terrified. (laughs) That's him now. (laughs) And and so they had a news conference and he's concerned about, you know, am I going to get to college or do they think I'm going to blow the place up? You know, what's going on? I didn't do it. 
But you see, once the lie goes out there, it's so hard to get it back. And the problem with lying and deceitfulness is that it starts to direct who we are. It actually starts to shape our lives. And what we don't want to do is allow those things to shape who we are and define us. Because pretty soon all you're about is telling why that's a lie. Oh, that's a lie. That's a lie. That's a lie. And now you're defending yourself against something that isn't even true. And pretty soon you find yourself talking about the lie. And you've lost your life to the lie. Because it's all about the slander. It's all about this deceit. And so, Lord, save me from lying lips, from this deceitful tongue. Don't let my life be defined by people who are dishonest. Let me live a life that doesn't allow those things to affect me. I can't stop the lies, but I cannot allow it to define how I live. And so, as he says, Save me from this. Save me from this place where this deceit is going on and lead me to another place. And as he goes on, he says, you will punish them just as their words are stabbing, Lord. You're going to stab them with arrows, with burning coals and the broom bush. It's talking about, again, just bringing retribution for the things that they've done. Cleaning out those things that have taken place. And it's important that we recognize that this is going to happen, but what he's now wanting to understand is this place of moving to a place of peace, away from this deceit. And and that's why he says, woe to me, for I dwell at Meshech, that I live among the tents of Kedar. These are warring tribes that were constantly battling back and forth. And he found himself in the middle of this constant battle, this constant barrage. Now, we don't live here in a place where there's war going on or warring, where people are coming in raiding. Maybe you've gotten your home you know, broken into and you know what it's like to feel like, oh no, someone has come in and defiled my house. Or, or if you've just been a part of a family where there's a lot of abuse and, and yelling and constant barragement, you know, man, just getting out of this place is going to be a good thing. And he's like, man, it's woe to me because I live in this place. And he says, too long have I lived among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. When I asked you in the break, what is the most peaceful place you've ever been to? Someone shout one out. What's a peaceful place you've been to? A cemetery. A cemetery. Oh, gosh. Okay. I wasn't expecting that. That. Okay. Yosemite. Okay. Did you say Yosemite or a cemetery? Okay. Yosemite Cemetery. Okay. Any others? What is it? Sequoia. Alaska. Switzerland. All right. Now we're talking. These places, they're serene. They bring something, even the calmness, even the cemetery, can be a place where there is quiet, there's peacefulness, those kinds of things that are taking place in there. And you see, what the psalmist is wanting to do is to move to a place where there is the serenity. And Jerusalem represents that to him. Jerusalem is the place where 
God's promises are. It's the promised city. It's the land that God has given to us. It is a fulfillment of what God has done. And, and so this ascent is with Jerusalem in mind, keeping that in his focus. In Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3, it says, You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Those whose minds aren't shaken. Their, their minds stay focused. You know, my daughter has a little dog. It's a little Yorkie. And there's a turkey in our neighborhood. I don't know why, but there is. And it's a good-sized turkey. It, and it stands outside our window and makes turkey noises. They're not gobble-gobble. It's annoying. Anyway, this dog is just focused on this turkey. And today, when the turkey was outside, I took her. The turkey's like five times as big as the dog. And so I thought I'd have fun. And so I took the dog outside, and the turkey was there. And I was just moving the dog like this, you know, because, oh, look at the turkey, look at the turkey. I don't know. It was like a toy for me. Anyway, I was doing this, and the dog's head stays in the same place. Her body's moving, but her head is staying right there, focused. <laughs> it's the coolest thing. <laughs> head is steadfast. The, the vision, the sight, I could have had a better example, but I didn't this one. <laughs> The focus stays there. Even though everything else is crazy, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are staying there and that trust you. And, and this is the focus, is the Lord. Because what Jerusalem represented to the Hebrew people, to the children of Israel, was the promise of God. It was... The the promise to Abraham. It was their land. And so I'm going to keep my mind steadfast on you as I go to this place. And, and we need to do the same thing. You see, this idea of peace is an important one. It's important here in the psalmist when he says in verse 7, I am for peace. He's actually saying, I am am peace, and they are war. He, he's showing a contrast saying, this is what I am, and this is what they are. They are warring, but I am peace. And that's what we are to be. Jesus' words in Matthew 5, verse 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. The young boy holding the sign that says, no more hurting people, peace, was Martin Richard. It was the eight-year-old who was killed in the blast for the Boston Marathon. And you see, what we need are people who care about making peace. Not keeping the peace, but making peace. And how ironic that this young boy is holding a sign saying, stop hurting people, and he's hurt in this tragic event. His sister next to him lost her leg. This poor family is going through this. Around them are distress, and what we need to do is, in the lives of people, try and make peace. 
And Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. It's so interesting that he says, they will be called children of God. Especially at that time when he says, actually, it's more literally sons of God, but it has the meaning sons and daughters of God. Because at that time, sons of God had a different meaning probably than it does to us. Thinking of all mythology, they have, you know, the the Zeus and Apollo. So they have Odin and his his son Thor, you know, in their mythology, these gods, and they have their sons. Caesars were gods, and they were going to have other Caesars that would become their sons and were going to become gods. And so there was this idea of the son of God was not one that was very well embraced by the Hebrew mind. It was foreign. In fact, they would think it was blasphemous to talk about that. And and so Jesus brings this term, you know, the peacemakers will be called the sons of God. And what's interesting about that is those people who were thought of as gods, whether in mythology or in rulers, what did they do with their power? They ruled over people. What would you do if you had power? Or if you do have power, if authority is given to you, how do you wield it? When you're over someone, maybe you're a foreman. There's the ability to leverage it for your own good. Well, I'm going to get all the good days off because I can write the schedule. I only work Monday through Friday. You guys work the weekends. I don't work the graveyard, those shifts. I'm going to leverage. Why? Because I have that ability. I remember when we went to Mississippi one time after Hurricane Katrina. We had to stay in this tent. First, we had tents, and the tents were inside a big, like, circus tent. And you would think that being in two tents, it would be warm. It wasn't. It was, it was freezing. In fact, I remember Karina and I, after the second night, we were thinking, we're not going to survive. We can't live like this. Unfortunately, it warmed up. Otherwise, I don't know what would happen. It was freezing, but they had a couple of trailers. And the trailers were there for some of the leaders. And I was leading our group, and I remember the guy who ran the camp, and he goes, hey, listen, we have a trailer. If you and your wife want, you guys can stay in the mobile home, basically the trailer. Not sleeping on the floor in a sleeping bag, freezing to death. You could go in a nice trailer, soft bed, blankets, and everything be cool. Get thee behind me, Satan. (laughs) I can remember thinking about that, and I was thinking, after those first two nights, I was like, oh, man. They had a bathroom that was heated, and I almost wanted to just sleep in the bathroom because it was so cold that night. And I remember thinking to myself, okay, I'm the leader. I have the right, and I just had this impression. What did Jesus do? You see, Jesus is our example. And if you turn with me to Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, we see how Jesus handled authority, how he handled power. Chapter 2, verse 6, it says, Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, 
He didn't leverage his being God to his advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. You see, here is Jesus who has all power. And what does he do with that power? He surrenders it and becomes a man and becomes obedient. And so what do we do when we're given power and authority? Do, do we use it to wield? Do we use it to get the trailer? I didn't take the trailer. I gave it to someone and then I made them get up early in the morning and do the breakfast shift. Seemed fair to me. But when we get the power, our tendency is to use it for selfish reasons. And now Jesus is saying, the ones who get the title, sons of God, aren't the ones who wield power. They're the ones who make peace. They actually look more like God when they make peace than when they have power. And what Jesus is doing is pulling us into this conversation. Jesus keeps pulling us into himself. And he's saying, you're more like me than you recognize, or maybe than you're acting, or that you're supposed to behave. You are supposed to represent who God is. And so he calls them the sons of God, something that would be shocking to them at that time. Or he says things like, you are the light of the world. There's this expectation of who you're supposed to be. And we keep trying to distance ourselves. And Jesus keeps trying to pull us in closer. Oh no, we're, you know, we're, we're, we're wretched. We're wretched. And yeah, there's lots of wretched things about us. But is that what's going to identify us? Or are we going to be peacemakers and be known as the sons of God? Are we going to be the light of the world? See, I look back in how I talk to my kids. And so many times I was implementing to them, even when they were just small. And I was saying, well, you guys, you know, you're, you're, you're sinners. And I might not have said it in that way. I tried to use it in different ways. You know, when I drew the little charts on the napkins and stuff, and here's God, and here's you, and here's sin in between. Trying to let them know this is where you are, and this is where God is, and trying to let them know of their depravity. And Jesus keeps trying to pull us up to who he is, because he has dealt with our depravity on the cross. And he is able to make us sons of God. And one of the things that happens is when you become like Jesus, you make peace. That's the outcome of being like him. And I wish I would have told my children that they are lights of the world more often. I wish I would have instilled to them that they are like God when they make peace. I wish I would have pushed them more towards the character of Christ than trying to define them in the things that are neglected in our humanity, our frailty, and in our sinful condition. Those things are there, and believe me, they've become aware of them just like we all do. But here Jesus is trying to push us 
more and more to who he is. And we see that as he does this, he pushes us to engage in relationship with other people. You see, many times I think making peace is by avoiding conflict, right? Your wife is mad at you because no reason. There, never. <laughs> She's upset with you for something. And what I want to do is avoid conflict. I just want to, let's get by this. Let's not have to deal with it. But you see, making peace is uncomfortable. It means I have to engage and I have to hear what I did wrong. And I have to talk about that and I have to work things out and I have to be able to bear the problems that I see or she sees within me and acknowledge those things. And I need to be able to respond in a way that's cordial and respectful. You see, being a peacemaker is a very important part of society. It's a very important part not only on a national level, but on a personal level. Being able to make peace with your husband or your wife is a big deal. And not just keep the peace. I'm just not going to say anything. Because that way I don't start something and it just stays there and it festers until it explodes. No, making peace means disarming the bomb that's there to explode because of what you've done or what you've said or what someone else has done, what someone else has said. Going in and involving yourself in those things, that's making peace. I've never in my times of counseling had someone come up to me And say, my wife and I are having problems. I said, what is it? The book of Daniel. We just can't agree on the prophecies. Just not sure. You know, she's post-trib, I'm pre-trib. I just don't think it's going to work. Never. Maybe it's happened. That'd be weird. But I've never dealt with that. But I've dealt time and time again with people who don't know how to make peace, who are more concerned with being right than being whole, that are more concerned about their authority. When Jesus' example, though he were God, he emptied himself of his right to act as God and became a man and suffered death, even the death on the cross. That's our example Jesus was a peacemaker, and he made peace between us and God. And he is our example that we would humble ourselves and care more about bringing this restoration between us and other people, between other people and their God, helping them to see that they've been created in God's image and they need to acknowledge where they're at so that they can get to where they need to be and helping them to make peace with their God. That, that's the intention. That's what we're supposed to do. And as this psalmist is writing, he finds himself in the middle of this fraction, these, these two you know, 
communities that are battling back and forth, these tribes, these wandering gypsies that are just warring and raiding each other. And I just think of our world, and I think of this last week, just the craziness that it was, just the bombing there. I think of what's taking place with North Korea. Now they have missiles, and they're they're facing now towards South Korea and maybe towards us. And you think Iran is now getting nuclear weapons, and not, not even talking about Afghanistan and Iraq, where we're already involved, and so many other things. And you think about the civil unrest and you think of the problems that are here and it's just going on and on and on and what we want so much is a place of peace and so we think of the Yosemites and those places where there's just quiet but do you understand what the people need to do is see that you are the peace I am peace he says they are war And that we would have that understanding that you can be the peace of God for somebody. That you can actually bring peace into their lives. And what a need that is today in our society to have peace. When everything on the news is just crazy. I can remember being so frightened when I was a child of things that were going to happen. Can you imagine our children growing up hearing all these things? What an example it is for them to see peace. And you be the one who makes the peace happen. Because you bring it. And I think the best way to understand how people bring peace is to understand how people bring conflict. Have you ever met one of those people? Everywhere they go, a fight breaks out. And they happen to be in it. I don't know what it is, man. Everywhere I go, there's a fight. Dude, I've been with you. You're, you're kind of part of that. No, it's not me, man. He just walks into the room. Look at that guy. He's mad-dogging me. He's mad-dogging Dude, he's not mad-dogging you. Just look away. I ain't going to look away. You know? It's like... He just brings this conflict in as he goes into this place. He's just in this heightened level of just... No one's going to take advantage of me. Hey, I'm going to... People can do that. I've seen it happen. You can do the opposite. What if you came into a room and you brought peace? If you made peace. But you see, you can't make peace if you don't have peace. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 through 7, says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Romans 12.18 tells us as much as is possible that lies within you to be at peace with all men. You see, if our hearts are guarded with the peace of God, that we're not anxious because we are steadfast, we are ascending, we know who we belong to, we recognize these things. And and so we are able to have peace while there is war and, and fractions going on all around us. We are able to know and have assurance, not be anxious. And it's a peace that passes all understanding. You see, the 
the world needs the children of God more than ever. Who are they? They're the peacemakers. That's why Jesus, as he came, the angels said, good tidings, peace on earth, goodwill towards men. In Isaiah, when it talks about Jesus, it says he's wonderful counselor, everlasting father, prince of peace. He is the one who brings restoration to our souls. And until we have the restoration of God, we will not have the peace of God. And to be able to be a peacemaker, then you have to be the one who contains peace. And the way we contain peace is through the one who gives peace and has made peace with God on our behalf. And that's the person of Jesus what he has done for us, dying on the cross, humbling himself, even though he had the right to act as God, gave himself for us, for our sin, for our brokenness, for our wickedness, so that we wouldn't have to pay that penalty and we could keep steadfast and have assurance and confidence as we come before the throne of grace and find it in our time of need. Let's pray. Father, as this psalm declares, the writer is focused on you. And even though there is lying and there is slander, even though there is bitterness and and battling taking place, Lord, he is peace. And they are at war. And Lord, you have called us to be peace in the lives of those around us, to be those who make peace. And by doing this, we are called the children of God. Lord, how our world needs peace. Not just on a national level. Lord, in our homes, with our families, in our workplaces, in our marriages. Lord, how we need peace. And Father, I pray that we would be able to bring this peace into the lives of those around us. I I pray for the family of this young Martin Richard, Lord, who have just been devastated. And the others who have lost lives and lost limbs and have been traumatized by this horrific event. Senseless event. Lord, I pray that there would be people who could bring peace into their lives. People who could bring your comfort, your love into their lives. Bring a recognition of who you are, that you care at this time in their lives. 
And Lord, you have called us to be those people. You've called us to be peacemakers to the world around us. Lord, that's who you see us as if we are your children. And so, Lord, may we take this DNA of what you look like and allow it to be seen in our own lives. May we desire to be peacemakers, making peace with those around us and bringing those around us to be at peace with you. May we bring Jesus into the place of focus. As he has brought us peace, may we allow, Lord, you to bring that peace to others in our conversations. Thank you again, Lord, for your goodness and how your words speak to our hearts. Father, may you continue to direct us and work within us so that we can represent you effectively to the people around us who are in such need of forgiveness and of peace. We do ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.